good Sunday morning. Hope everybody's having a super blessed morning. Um, so today's message comes from the Holy Bible, the Daily Word, the Jesus Calling, the Upper Room, the Christian Post, and heck, even Wikipedia. And there's probably in a couple blogs. So there's certainly a, a plethora of information because it just kept kept building. Um, I always tell, I told Pastor Brett months ago when we were talking about this that, uh, you know, I always had a couple sermons that were uh, just kind of, I've got them written, I've got an outline drawn up of what I want to say, and unfortunately, invariably, every once in a while, it, uh, it gets, uh, some, some other message starts to come through, and that's exactly what happened this week, um, or the course of the last couple weeks, um, because every time I do one of these sermons, I always think of a you know, thank God that God uses cracked pots uh, to shine his light, because for those of you who know me, you know that that certainly is true. I am most assuredly a cracked pot. If you don't know me, rest assured uh, that is the truth. Um, however, the reality is, is that we're all cracked pots. Uh, everyone who's listening here today, we are all broken, um, each and every one of us. And the funny thing is this week, or I guess it was last week that I was preparing the sermon, one of the readings that I came across, and it was on the AW Wisdom from the web blog spot, basically is that light shines through cracked pots. So real quickly, let's uh, listen to this. Everyone is like a pot that carries life, but not everyone carries a presence that blesses others. Sometimes we try to force things to be perfect or people to be perfect, like pots without cracks, or we have that expectation. But if light is put within a flawless pot and then covered, no one is able to see the light inside the pot. Perfect pots are not able to reveal internal light to illumine the way for others. God chooses to shine through imperfect, cracked pots. People are blessed when our cracked pots, when we allow our cracked pots to let the light of Jesus to shine through. It's a choice to share our cracks rather than an empty, pretty vessel. Anyway, I just find it really intriguing that that would be what came about right before we're giving the sermon. And side note, I want to put in here, for those of you who haven't ever um, preached into a Zoom meeting, I want to give a, a shout out to Pastor Brett and to all the preachers who've been having to learn how to preach to an empty room. Because if you haven't done it before, it's extremely difficult. Um, it's difficult because when you're sharing a word or a message that's been laid upon your heart, you're getting at the same time that you're giving. And so it's an active process. Even if you're like snoring in that back pew, as I'm presenting, I haven't, I wanna try and wake you up so I can get that message that God's laid on my heart out there to you. And so anyway, I digress. The light shining through cracked pots is, it's just kind of been a, a general theme um, because I think a lot of times people have this perception that, that Christians are not broken. And the reality is that as Christians, we are thoroughly broken. The difference is that we know that our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, has taken away all of our sins because from the moment we wake up every morning, we are sinning. It's the state of human nature. It is the way, um, because sin is in the world. 
and we have to ask for forgiveness and luckily through uh, Jesus Christ we are forgiven but I find it so fascinating that God uses our brokenness to shine his light through us to help bless others so that we can share our stories and our journeys and our pain and and help others along their path but uh, which is again going back to the broken pot extremely interesting because if you haven't had a chance to read the upper room literally this morning the title is ourselves and others and the story that they shared is uh, the the writer was teaching English as a second language to college-age students who were preparing to enter a university in the US and one day the class was learning how to use reflexive pronouns myself yourself himself etc and the students were practicing um, in by filling in the blanks and sentences in their notebook uh, the sentence God helps those who help confused one of the students and when he came up to the to the teacher at the end of the class to ask for the answer she told him that the answer is common is the saying is a common one in the US and that the correct answer is themselves God helps those who help themselves oh he said I thought God helped those who help others he was right Jesus gave us two commandments that are the most important to love God with all our heart, soul, mind, strength, and to love our neighbors as ourselves. That comes from Mark 28 through 31. The parable in today's reading also reminds us that our neighbor is anyone we meet whom we have the ability to help. My student's response was closer to the biblical teaching than that popular saying. Even if our material is limited, we can offer a smile, a word of encouragement, a listening ear to those in we come in contact with today, and in doing so, we will also be blessed. So the reading that the author chose is Luke 10, 29 through 37. And when I read Luke 10, 29 through 37, it was Luke 10, 33 through 37 that literally jumped off the pages at me and it jumped off the pages at me because remember that cracked pot remember that shining the light here's Luke 10 33 through 37 no one lights a light and then puts it in a cellar nor under a basket hiding the light but instead it is put on the lampstand so that those who come in may see the light the eye is the lamp of your body when your eye is clear spiritually perceptually focused on God your whole body is also full of light, benefiting from God's precepts. But when it is bad, spiritually blind, your body is also full of darkness, devoid of God's word. Be careful, therefore, that the light that is in you is not darkness. So if your whole body is illuminated with no dark part, it will be eternally bright with light, as when the lamp gives you light with its bright rays. cracked pots, light, not hiding our light, shining our light. Overall, what I keep hearing or what's been resonating is I feel like we're being called. We're being called as Christians to shine our light out in this world. We're being called to share our flaws, our trials, our tribulations, our sorrows, and our joys so that we may help guide others along this path. We are all at different stages along this journey. And 
As such, one of the things that when Pastor Brett and I talked months ago, and I really wish he was in Disney World right now instead of sitting here, but he's not. He's here with us. And uh, anyway, but one of the things he mentioned is, you know, hey, that's Pentecost Sunday. Uh, you can preach on it if you, if you like. And at the time, I was like, eh, I've already got this kindness changes everything sermon going. I think that's probably what I'm going to stick with. That was Down Country's theme this past year, and I think that's what it's going to be. But as part of this shining the light and, and sharing our journey, I started thinking about it. And, and here's the situation. I grew up in the church for years. And actually, I mean, I attended Sunday school. And, you know, I did what, quote unquote, what Christians do. But it wasn't until much later in life that I began to develop and study and learn and rely on Jesus. Truly rely on, on Jesus. And so much so that my 10-year-old, um, a, a few weeks ago, I was kind of having a bad day, you know, where the cat bit the dog or the dog bit the cat or the ki kid kicked the dog and the cat. Whichever way you want to put it, my morning wasn't going exactly my way. And one of the things I normally do first thing in the morning is I read my Bible, my Jesus Calling. That's exactly before my feet typically even hit the floor. That's what I do. And anyway, Ella came. My, it's my littlest girl. She came up and she brings me my, my readings. And she goes, Mommy, I think you need to have a, a read of this today. Um, she said, you obviously need that. I, th I think you need some Jesus. And she was right. I did. Um, so anyway, that got me thinking that perhaps we needed to uh, uh, look at where everybody is in their journey. And Pentecost, when I started thinking about it, is something that I, it was just a word that was kind of part of my religious background. It wasn't something that I exactly truly knew the meaning of. I didn't know that you were supposed to wear red on Pentecost. I didn't know any of those things. And so since I was raised in the church and didn't, understand truly what that was. I thought perhaps we'd do a top 10 this morning of things that perhaps we really need to know about Pentecost um, on this Pentecost Sunday. And my reason for that is, is I think sometimes as Christians, if we've grown up in the church and we have a somewhat similar background, we forget that not everybody has that level of exposure. And even if you've grown up in the church, that doesn't necessarily mean that you've delved into exactly what Pentecost is or what it means to you as a Christian. And so hopefully by doing a little flashback here, and then we are going to move forward to um, Psalm 100 and kindness changes everything, but let's do a little flashback here into the top 10 things we as Christians need to know about Pentecost Sunday. And so number one, Pentecost Sunday marks the day the Holy Spirit descended upon the disciples or the apostles. And number two, Pentecost Sunday occur, uh, occurs 49 or 50 days after Easter, depending on where you're looking, uh, you can find two different, um, two different numbers there. I'm assuming that has something to do with the differences in calendars. I do not have confirmation on that, so don't quote me. Number three, the Bible records Pentecost in Acts 2, 1 through 13. So you can read all about it, and we're going to. Pentecost, number four, comes 10 days after the ascension of Jesus Christ. Number five, Pentecost is also known as the birthday of the church, which I did not know. Six, Pentecost fulfills Jesus' promise to send the counselor and spirit of truth in John 16, 5 through 15. 
Pentecost, this is number seven, launches the large-scale spreading of gospel after Jesus' ascension. Acts 2.41 records that after Peter spoke to the crowd, after receiving the Holy Spirit, some 3,000 people were baptized. Number eight, the entire Pentecostal movement derives its name from the New Testament events in Act 2. And number nine, um, uh, the people who um, are part of the Jewish faith also celebrate Pentecost, for, but not for the same reason as Christians. The celebration by, um, by Jews for Pentecost is, is uh, to observe God giving the Ten Commandments on Mount Sinai 50 days after the Exodus. The Pentecost in Jewish tradition takes place 50 days after Passover. And 10, in Western churches, Pentecost is usually represented by the color red, which symbolizes the fire of the Holy Spirit. Or, as you read in Wikipedia, it says it sounded like a very strong wind and looked like tongues of fire. And that's when the apostles then began finding themselves speaking in foreign languages inspired by the Holy Spirit. Throughout the entire books of Act, we read that God's people came together in unity. It was their unified faith, their agreement in the presence of Jesus by the power of the Holy Spirit that made their prayers so effective. So as we stand here today, there's so much that's going on in our world that is so incredibly divisive. Unity and kindness shining our light so that we can share our journeys and share our stories as we learn together, as we grow together, is how we can become better together. And when we look at Acts 2, and we read about what happened on this day in Pentecost, and we understand that the unity of all of us uniting through the Holy Spirit, it's a truly, it is the greatest gift from God any of us could ever receive. So here we go, Acts 2. When the day of Pentecost had come, they were all together in one place. And suddenly a sound came from the heaven like a rushing violent wind, and it filled the whole house where they were sitting. There appeared to them tongues resembling fire, which were being distributed among them, and they rested on each one of them as each person received the Holy Spirit. And they were all filled, that is, diffused throughout their being with the Holy Spirit, and began to speak in other tongues, different languages, as the Spirit was giving them the ability to speak out clearly and appropriately. Now there were Jews living in Jerusalem, devout and God-fearing men from every nation under heaven, and when the sound was heard, a crowd gathered, and they were bewildered because each one was speaking those languages in his or home. They were bewildered because each one was hearing those in the upper room speaking in his own, his own language or dialect. And they were completely astonished, saying, Look, are not all these who are speaking Galileans? Then how is it that each of us hears our own language or native dialect? Momentary pause and interjection. Wouldn't it be a beautiful thing if for one day, 30 minutes, just for one moment, we could find a common language so that we could learn from and begin to understand where all of us are coming from. Wouldn't that be just about as close to heaven as you can humanly possibly imagine? 
the older I get, the more I realize that we are, that life is essentially about philosophies. And our philosophies, some of them, it's the way we were raised. Our philosophies, some of them are experiences that we've had. Some are discriminations that we faced. Some are lessons that we learned. Some are divorces that we've gone through. The reality is these, these, we all speak different languages and are all coming at things from different angles. And so wouldn't it be beautiful if for one day only we could simply stop, pause, and listen so that we could truly understand what each of us is trying to say. We're gonna pick back up um, because we're gonna pick back up in Acts 2 um, because people from all over the world were saying that they could hear and there were people everywhere. I mean, from all Parthenians and Medes, I, I mean, all over all the nations of the Bible. However, for us, we're gonna pick back up at Acts 2, um, 12. And because the people were beside themselves with amazement and greatly perplexed, saying one to another, what could this mean? But others were laughing and joking and ridiculing them, saying they're full of sweet wine and they're drunk. But Peter stopped them and standing, and standing with the eleven, raised his voice and addressed them. Men of Judea and all who live in Jerusalem, let this be explained to you. Listen closely and pay attention to what I have to say. These people are not drunk, as you assume, since it's only the third hour of the day, 9 a.m. But this is the beginning of what was spoken through the prophet Joel. And I'm going to let you at home, please, on your Bible, on your iPad, on your iPhone, I want you to look up that next part of Acts 2. And we're going to pick up at Acts 2.37. Because once they'd heard, and once you've read, they were cut to the heart. They were filled with remorse and anxiety. And they said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, Brothers, what are we to do? And Peter said to them, repent, change your way of thinking, turn from your sinful ways, accept and follow Jesus as the Messiah, and be baptized, each of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, because of the forgiveness of your sins. And you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. For the promise of the Spirit is for you and for your children and for all who are fall away, far away, including the Gentiles, as many as the Lord God ourselves. And Peter solemnly testified and continued to admonish them and urged them with many more words, saying, Be saved from this crooked and unjust generation. So then those who accepted this message were baptized. And on that day, 3,000 souls were added to the bodies of believers. They were continually and faithfully devoting themselves to the instruction of the apostles and to fellowship, to eating meals together, and to prayers. And a sense of awe was felt by everyone, and many wonders and signs attesting miracles were taking place through the apostles. And all those who had believed in Jesus as Savior were together and had all their things in common. And they began selling their property and possessions and were sharing the proceeds with all the other believers as anyone had need. Day after day they met in the temple, continuing with one mind, breaking bread in, we're going to underline this part, various private homes. They were eating their meals together with joy and generous hearts, praising God continually and having favor with all the people. And the Lord kept adding to their number those who were being saved. And that's the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God.
So on the day of Pentecost, there were 120 believers gathered together in one place, waiting and praying for the outpouring of the Holy Spirit. Gathered in one place. Next Sunday, we get to attend worship inside of our church again. However, one of the things that we seem to have forgotten, have we become overly reliant on the building as our church? Have we begun to depend on this structure? Because when we look back and we look at the apostles, and we look at the day of Pentecost, and we look about what came about, they were in private homes, they were in fields, they were on plains. They were in and out throughout the world, and they were sharing the message. I was reading um, the Joyce Meyer Bar Bible, because Psalm 100 is where we're going next, but believe it or not, it actually ties together. And one of the, the readings that goes along with Psalm 100 talks about how prayer often goes unanswered because of an ungrateful heart. And it says complaining and being ungrateful are major hindrances to answered prayers. And it talks about the Holy Spirit impressed upon the author the idea that when people pray with an ungrateful, and for things but don't have a thankful heart, it's a clear indication they aren't ready for something else because they won't be thankful for that either. The devil's whole plan is to keep us dissatisfied with something all the time. And so the, what it asks for you today is look for something to be thankful for and offer up a prayer of praise. And I think we need to look at that. I mean, today, if there was a song in your heart, if your attitude were a song, you know, are you truly exhibiting an attitude of gratitude? Or would the song be, make, make the world go away, or raindrops keep falling on her head, or I did it my way? Or would it be, oh, what a beautiful morning? Which, by the way, it is. Are we ungrateful? I think the answer is clear. But why don't we look at that as we go and look in Psalm 100. The first line, Psalm 101. Make a joyful noise unto the Lord, all ye lands. Joyful noise is being thankful. It's being grateful. And as we look back on these past three months, have we always been grateful? Have we been thankful? I can't say that I have been. We're a fickle people. Extremely, one day we're happy about one thing. We're, I'm happy it's raining. I'm mad it's raining. I'm happy it's sunny. I wish it wouldn't be so hot. My life is too busy, my life is too hectic, I have too many things to do. Hold on, wait a second, the world has stopped. We're extremely difficult to make happy. Very often, biblically, we're compared to sheep. We probably should be. We are that fickle. Psalm 102, serve the Lord with gladness, come before his presence with singing not always easy to be glad. Sometimes doing what God's called us to do is hard to do with a joyful heart. It becomes easier with practice. 
but to serve the joy of the Lord with gladness and to come, come before his presence singing. It's what we're called to do. The ease comes with practice. 103. Know ye the Lord, he is God. It is he that hath made us and not we ourselves. We are his people and the sheep of his pasture. Well, wasn't I just talking about sheep? Raised in my whole life. If Craig King's watching this or listening, you know sheep have a brain the size of a pea. It's kind of ironic that quite frequently we are compared to his sheep because we don't listen very well either, do we? We change our minds. We want one thing. We ask another. We pray for this. And then we give thanks that we didn't get it. We don't always know what's in our best interest. One time when I was a, a, a little kid, the sheep took off running. We have a pond outside of my parents' house. And uh, they were running from um, a dog. They, but they took off. It was like a herd mentality. They all took off and they were running. And they all ran directly into the pond behind mom and dad's house. The whole flock was in the pond. And if you haven't ever raised sheep, you don't understand exactly how difficult it is to get a waterlogged sheep out of the water because they don't want to do what you want them to do. They don't want what's in your best interest and you're literally dragging them and they're fighting you the entire time. Isn't that, isn't that what God does for us? We fight him. We fight him for what he wants, when we know what he wants is what's best for us. I think it's pretty appropriate. We're called the sheep of his pasture. Psalm 104. Enter his gates with thanksgiving and give his courts with praise and into his courts with praise. Be thankful unto him and bless his name. When was the last time you said, praise you, Lord. Thank you for this day. I am grateful. Forgive me for my ingratitude. 105. For the Lord is good. His mercy is everlasting, and his truth endureth for all generations. Kindness changes everything. We are just like children, learning through trial and error. All of us growing from our mistakes. All of us. The ability to develop compassion for others and for ourselves is a process of growth for each of us. Forgiveness doesn't benefit just the person forgiven. It is a necessary part of our spiritual growth. And acceptance is a necessary part of every soul's journey. In order for me to give, or for any of us to give, we truly must receive, and we have to open our hearts as we, as we freely forgive. And if we want to be a loving presence to everyone we meet, then we have to work hard to see the good everywhere and in everyone. We have to look beyond conflict and limitation and find the good that is always ours. And we have to remember, and this is from Jesus Calling, 
that in the world of unrelenting changes, God is the one who never changes. God is the Alpha and the Omega, the first and the last, the beginning and the end. In him is the stability for which we yearn because this world is always going to change. John 16, 33. I have told you these, those things so that in me you may have perfect peace and confidence. In the world you have tribulation and trials and distress and frustration. But be of good cheer. Take courage, be confident, certain, undaunted. For I have overcome the world. I have deprived it of power to harm you and have conquered it for you. In the end, Jesus wins. And kindness changes everything. So as you go out throughout this week, keep that in mind. The story has already been written. What we are called to do, while not easy, is simple. We are called to love one another. We are called to give, to let our light shine, to share our journey, and to share our joy. And to understand that ease in this life is not guaranteed, nor is your path or a Christian designed to be easy. It's designed to be worth it. And in the end, Jesus wins. God bless and have a great Sunday. Thank you.